You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. At what I do. How much of your time was spent and how much was it invested in your goal? Can't do it unless you can over... Welcome to Big News Sports. Featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. And Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. In Southern Please. Welcome into the program. It is uh, Big Noon Sports on a uh, not very big noon looking afternoon. It was a busy, busy weekend, but yesterday afternoon I was looking at my phone like many of us were, and we saw that Mike Leach uh, had what they call a personal health issue in Starkville. Uh, the reports are coming in now, and I'm going to bring you up to date. Tony Curry, who's a friend of Mike Leach, will be joining us in just a second. But first of all, let's go to Lars with the latest, uh, particularly in a story that was just released by the uh, Clarion, Ledger. Clarion Ledger. Yeah, the Clarion Ledger has uh, done a lot of reporting on this, and uh, they uh, state that Mike Leach had a massive heart attack on Sunday. And as we know, Mike Leach is the very charismatic uh, Mississippi State football coach, and he had a massive heart attack on Sunday in Starkville uh, when he collapsed at his home. And uh, Leach, who's 61, did not receive medical attention for about 10 to 15 minutes. EMTs used a defibrillator machine and delivered multiple shocks to restore his normal heart rhythm. Then after he was stabilized at a local hospital, he was transported by helicopter to another hospital uh, and they um, in, in, in Jackson, Mississippi, and I know that two of his four children are already there. And uh, it appears, according to sources, that Leach may have suffered seizures with the possibility of brain damage. Uh, sources told the Clarion Ledger that the situation is dire. And MSU said that Leach was in critical condition in a statement issued uh, just this morning a couple hours ago. So let's go to Tony Curry. Um, close friend of ours, and, and, and Tony's a very close friend of uh, Mike Leach. And Tony, uh, I, I assume just like all of us, you're in complete shock over this. Yeah, and thanks for having me on. Uh, I've, I've been reached out by several different um, networks to, to talk about Mike, and, and I kind of want to be careful. I spoke to uh, a family member earlier this morning, so I'll, 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 I'll tread lightly here, but you pretty much uh, nailed it. Uh, I, I considered Mike a, a friend of mine. Uh, he, he invited me out to Pullman when he was out in Washington State. Uh, went down on the field uh, for the Mississippi State Alabama game this year. Um, just a, a, a great, a great guy, great husband, great father, and 
when I saw this news yesterday, I, I texted him right away, and, and obviously I did not re- receive a reply. You'll remember he was uh, on the show with us just several weeks ago, and I was having a hard time getting him to uh, contact me, and he, he would always text me back pretty much immediately. And this is, this is a guy that, 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 that used to call me at halftime of football games when he was out of Washington State, and he would call me and go, what do you want? I'm like, we just called to see if we could get you on for a few minutes. and. Uh, during the Washington State Colorado game several years back, he actually did a five minute interview at the halftime of the football game, a game that they actually won. And um, so, not to hear back from him uh, was uh, surprising and, and sad. But if you remember when we had him on uh, several weeks ago in an interview that we had to do off air, uh, he just had uh, a horrible coughing situation. He had been going through a bout with pneumonia throughout the entire uh, season, and I don't know if that had anything to do with. What happened uh, yesterday? But uh, just just a wonderful man, and our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to him. Um, I spoke with uh, someone I reached out to this morning. Uh, she called me back, and uh, she said that he's resting comfortably, but uh, he's not uh, he's not in a good situation, and is obviously dire and, and critical at this point. And, and you just don't think of a, of a coach coming off of an incredibly successful eight and four campaign, winning the Egg Bowl this year. They beat Arkansas. They beat Auburn. They beat A and M. Um, and, uh, into his third season of Mississippi State, and he's beloved there. They, they love him. They, you, they love that coach, Mike Leach, as much as, a, a, a university in the Southeastern Conference can love a coach after three seasons. Uh, he, he, he pretty much had an open-ended contract there and he could stay as long as he wanted. They, they just loved his quirkiness and his weirdness and his, his eccentric ability to, to, to go viral, uh, in, in any kind of way. And he's one of the few people, um, that it's Mike Leach being Mike Leach. It's Charles Barkley being Charles Barkley. There's not too many people that can pull it off, but Mike Leach did that, so our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to him today. Tony Curry is our guest. We're talking about Mike Leach and his medical situation as he is in dire or critical condition at hospital in Jackson. Um, just to go over this, you, you mentioned a little bit of it, of, and I think quirky is a great word, but uh, the difference between being quirky in Lubbock and in Washington State, but... Uh, can you can be quirky and start and still get a right way with it and be very very beloved you, you sure can yeah absolutely and again uh when you're successful you can afford to be quirky uh you know if you're going three and nine quirky doesn't work uh but but mike leach uh was coach of the year uh i think two or three different times uh he was successful at every level he went when it was texas tech where he still has by the way uh a lawsuit uh for for back pay uh he was they loved beyond the bejeebers and Pullman out in Washington State. The, the fan base absolutely loved him. But, the, you know, his name always came up for job openings, and, and, and much to what we talked about around here is, it, was it going to be a good fit? We actually threw the question at him about the Auburn job. Um, because, of course, uh, John Cohen, his, his former uh, athletic director at Mississippi State and former baseball coach and player there, uh, took the Auburn job, and it just seemed like, you know, why wouldn't he want to bring Mike Leach to Auburn? I don't know if that would have been a fit or not, but again, if you're winning football games, uh, eight wins at Mississippi State's pretty good, and I don't have any doubt. You just look at his quarterback, uh, his quarterbacks, uh, there's a list of quarterbacks, uh, 10 to 12 deep, uh, that, that not only played, uh, in college at an extremely high level with the air raid offense, but also even in the, uh, NFL, you know, Gardner Minshew, probably the last guy that, that, that came out, but I mean, they were record setters. And, you know, I think he started getting comfortable with himself, particularly in the SEC, that he felt like he couldn't throw the football 75% of the time like he could his other schools. And, and he actually had a pretty decent running game this year. So, um, he just, he was always quirky, you know, um, 
you could ask him anything. You know, we, we had him on the Korean Claypool show. I started interviewing him about four years ago. I got his cell phone number. I reached out to him. There was about 20 different coaches. I got their cell phone numbers. Don't ask me how. And he was one of the few guys that actually returned my text. And uh, I knew that he was quirky. I knew that he was good for um, an interview. Uh, I knew that he was good to, to go on different tangents. Peripherally speaking, he'd go off on anything. And he gave us just a sound bite about Matthew McConaughey and, of course, the, the sword that he presented to him on late-night television. I mean, the guy was just amazing to talk to. And it almost got to the point where, you know, on a weekly basis, we talked more just about what, what he was into. He, he, he loved sandwiches. <laughs> he was, people always talked about his, his piracy and everything else. Uh, we would get to the point where we wouldn't even ask him about football, even during football season. But he was just a fun guy. And it, I, what our people don't realize about him is he's a brilliant Man, I mean, he is really, really brilliant. When you look at some of the brilliant people you have in your life, they are quirky. They're a little off, uh, and he was that, and he embraced that. And the people around him, including his family, obviously embraced that part of him. But he was a brilliant guy. He taught taught uh, classes out at Wash U. He, he did the old air raid uh, offense class uh, that, that crossed over into business and technology. Uh, the guy knew what he was doing. He, he, he was a brilliant man. He really was. So, uh, according to the reports that I'm reading, that uh, Leach was last seen uh, publicly on Saturday at a evening holiday party and and appeared to be fine. But I go back to what you mentioned earlier, the, the fact that he had been battling pneumonia for the majority of the season. I mean, I had walking pneumonia once and had to go to Israel for a story and I had zero energy. I mean, I, it, it, would, it took everything I had just to last like those three days in Tel Aviv to get back on the plane and come back to the States. I can't imagine coaching a high-level college football program with pneumonia uh, for most of the season. Did, did he ever talk to you about feeling fatigued, or did you have an inclination that it was really bothering him other than the fact that he wasn't getting back to you as quickly as he normally did over text? No, you know, we wanted to get in contact with him. It, it, it's been quite uh, an incredible, tumultuous uh, season for him, not only winning the Egg Bowl and going 8-4, but, of course, the, the suicide of his offensive lineman, Sam Westmoreland, back in October. That was uh, one of the original reasons he was supposed to be on uh, our show uh, the day That's after right. that happened. And, and, I, and I certainly understood that, that, that he couldn't get on and speak about that, and I didn't want to. Um, be pushy at any stretch, obviously, with, with the memorial service and with a, with a, um, uh, a funeral. And then, of course, you remember watching them play Alabama the week after. And, of course, the entire Alabama football team got on one knee outside their tunnel as the team came out, which I thought was just really classy and respectful. And it was heart-wrenching to see that. And uh, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid uh, two days removed for his birthday. Uh, so it, it has been quite the tumultuous year. And then when, I, when we had him on, I just kind of laughed it off, and he kind of laughed it off. He just like, you know, he, he couldn't, I mean, you guys still have the interview. You can replay it. And he just, he could not get through a sentence without coughing something up. It got to the point where it's like, wow. And I, I think I even asked him several times, we edited it out, are you okay? And he's like, I'm fine. I'm good. You know, next question. And I was like, okay. And so, you know. Uh, when someone's not feeling well, you don't want to keep on any longer than you have to. But um, just a, just an amazing individual, and and uh, I'm praying that uh, you know sometimes some of these 
information outlets uh, can be off a little bit. I know everyone's looking for the story first, uh, and the fact that I, I actually uh, was fortunate enough and blessed enough to talk to someone as part of his family and kind of get the inside line, it, it's certainly not a, a good situation. Uh, and and, and I, I think I'll, I'll go as far as to say this, that, that if, if somehow miraculously he lives through this, uh, he will be a, he will be a different man, and I think you guys understand what I mean. Uh, unfortunately, and the media outlets that we are following are sound, and uh, I certainly think that uh, unfortunately, what we what know at this point is is very possibly true. Let's just uh, hope that he can hang on and uh, continue his life because he means so much to so many people. That includes you, Tony, and I, I think that I can speak for Lars. We kind of feel like we know him pretty well, too, vicariously yeah. through you. So uh, thank you for your time, Tony. In the meantime, Mississippi State will continue their practice to, to play Illinois in the uh, Relia Quest Bowl, and the interim coach is Zach Arnett. It has been a very, very tough end of 2022 for Mississippi State, and particularly now for their head coach, Mike Leach. Tony, many thanks. God bless. Merry Christmas. Thank Love you, you guys. Appreciate you. See you. Love you too, brother. Um, I guess the biggest thing nationally over the uh, weekend was the Heisman Trophy, but uh, here from the, from the South, from Houston to uh, Tuscaloosa, the story was a huge win and a comeback win. When you look back on it on paper, you say, how did they do this? But uh, Alabama beat number one Houston Saturday afternoon, and their color analyst, Mr. Brian Passink, will be our guest in about four minutes. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. This Christmas, give your family the ultimate gift everyone will enjoy. A new boat from Boatworks in Northport. If you fish, Boatworks carries Camus Bass Boats by Earl Bence. And the sixth, the low tonight, 51. For tomorrow, partially sunny. Any showers will stay few and far between. The high at 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back on Big Noon Sports, Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and Christian Miller. I think he's got his dad with you. Let's bring him on real quickly, and then we got to get to Brian Passing to talk some Alabama hoops. What's going on, Christian and Corey? Nothing Mr. Miller? Much, nothing much. Yeah, we're live in studio here at uh, Tide FM at uh, Town Square Media in Tuscaloosa, and uh, we're excited for today. What's up, guys? How you doing? Corey, good. Good to hey, have you in Alabama. Corey, yeah, man. Great yeah. to uh, have you in studio down there and uh, joining us for the full two hours. Uh, very excited. And today is a historic day. For the first time in the Nick Saban era, the Alabama men's basketball team is rated higher than the Alabama football team. <laughs> the basketball team in the AP poll that just came out, they're number four. In the AP poll, Alabama football is five. 
Wow. Let's mm. talk about that with our next guest. Well, our next guest was there, and I texted him yesterday because, we, oddly enough, Friday, we were talking about uh, how, how, it, how convenient, uh, if not luxurious, it is to take charter flights, and it's the University of Alabama plane. It's incredible. And <laughs> we were talking with Brian about it and how good that is, but I, I texted you yesterday and said, how much fun was that flight? Welcome into the show, Brian. Good to be here, and I'll say this on the the football uh, versus basketball. I say I say we keep Coach Saban around and uh, see if he can turn things around with the football program and, and get, a, get get that ranking back up. I mean, that's it's tough, but I mean, you know, I feel like he's probably done enough uh, to earn some more time. What, what do y'all think? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, maybe through thirty. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He's got to win the bowl. He's got to win the bowl game. The, the, the heat State is the deal breaker. The, the, yeah, the, the, the heat could really be applied by the uh, uh, media and uh, boosters if he doesn't take care of business against K State in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, Brian, just your overall assessment. Sorry, your overall assessment of uh, the game on Saturday in Alabama knocking off a second number one this season. I'm not at all surprised that Alabama won the game. I, I knew they were capable of that. Um, this is a talented team. It's, they're deep. Uh, they're athletic. They're long. They have everything you want except for one thing, and it's a pretty big deal, especially on the road against a team like Houston, who's number one in the country. That is experience. Um, but if you would have told me Alabama was going to win the game, I would not have been shocked just because this is a, a really good Alabama team, and on any given afternoon or night uh, they're capable of beating anybody in college basketball but if you would have told me how it would unfold and Brandon Miller would score a field goal Alabama would be down 15 in the second half the roof would be coming off the place um, you're playing against a tough tough veteran good number one ranked team and your young guys uh, not only match that toughness but but uh, with the tougher team, especially in the second half when their back was against the wall, I wasn't sure that this team was prepared to do that at this point in the season. So from that standpoint, I was really surprised and pleased. And it was just a great day for Alabama basketball. Uh, for what they did against North Carolina and Portland, uh, that was huge, obviously, the name brand of North Carolina, the number one ranking, uh, to win a game in quadruple overtime. But I wasn't sure if this team, at this stage, was ready to go on the road for their first true road test. And let me tell you, that was a tough road environment. I mean, it, it was rocking from an hour before tip. And those young guys didn't look scared for a second, and it was the opposite. They were excited. They were chomping at the bit uh, to play that game. And every time Houston made a run, uh, they just – responded in, in, in a in a veteran-like way. Very impressive win for Alabama, especially with the way it unfolded. Brian, I'd imagine, you know, after another number one um, being taken down by Alabama, the, the mindset of this team right now is is probably through the roof. Talk a little bit about how their confidence is right now. I'd imagine it's at an all-time high. Yeah, I, I agree. It is. And right now, you have to guard against the letdown. I mean, Memphis coming up tomorrow is really good. They proved that against uh, a highly ranked Auburn team and beat them fairly handily. That game wasn't particularly close in the second half. Uh, Memphis is one of the more talented teams 
that Alabama will play. And that's saying something because of the schedule. I think this will, again, be the number one overall strength of schedule when it's all said and done with as good as the SEC is this year. Uh, but Memphis is really good. Their confidence, their confidence level is really high as well, and it should be after that impressive win against Auburn. Uh, but this is a, a game a lot like South Dakota State. You, you beat number one, uh, you come back home, and you play a game that probably, even though Memphis is really, really good, and they're capable of beating anybody. Yeah, you know, this is a game that you probably, you know, a lot of a lot of fans and media think Alabama should win. And to not have that let down after such a high of beating number one on the road in the, in the fashion that they that they were able to do that, uh, this is a maturity game a lot like South Dakota State. Memphis is a lot better than South Dakota State. So I think you'll have maybe a little easier time getting up for the Memphis Tigers. That's another name brand in college basketball. And, listen, I was on the team bus headed to the airport um, to, to fly out of Houston, and that game was on the bus. And, and the guys were watching it, and Memphis was rolling. I mean, they, I think from the time we, we left the arena to, to the time we got to the, the airport in Houston, I, I don't know that Auburn scored. It was about a 10 or 12 run from Memphis, which couldn't have kind of come at a better time because our guys were watching that. I know that they'll watch a lot of film. Our coaches have uh, watched every Memphis game probably for the last couple of years by now. Um, but I think they will certainly have the respect of this Alabama team. But will they be able to bounce back of – uh, a really high coming off of that Houston game. We'll see Tuesday night. Should be a great game and a great atmosphere at Coleman Coliseum. Brian Corey Miller here. Uh, I think Coach Saban is probably a little safe uh, with his uh, title being <laughs> king of Tuscaloosa based on the, the overall 5-7 and seven, uh, record against all-time top-ranked teams. That's Alabama basketball team. I think Coach Saban has a little bit better record and going up against top competition. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. But, so I think he's going to be okay. But what I want to ask you, though, one thing that Coach Saban has been is consistent. Uh, I know this has been a down year, winning 10 games. You know, cry me a river, right? 10 wins and people still are sad. But but this Alabama basketball team, not just this year, but last year when I watched them, I see some signs of greatness at times. Then I see signs of inconsistencies. So what does it take for this basketball team to become more consistent, that basketball team that can knock out two number ones, but doing that on a more consistent level? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and I agree with you on Coach Saban. So, so mark it down. Uh, put uh, Corey Miller, Brian Passing say, let's let's keep Coach Saban around. He's doing a pretty good job. So uh, I, I'm on board. I'm on board with that. Uh, no, listen, the greatest of all time is the greatest of all time. It's just cool. Uh, for the basketball program to be mentioned in the same breath uh, mm-hmm. with what the football program has done. So that is that is quite an honor for us basketball folks. Uh, but I think that this team is built more like the, the team from a couple of years ago that won the SEC with Herb Jones and John Petty and Alex Reese than last year's team. And it's not because of experience, because this team is young and, and doesn't have the experience that that championship team did from a couple of years ago, but what they do have is a toughness on the defensive end. And last year, the, the inconsistencies to me were, were much more obvious defensively uh, than on the offensive end. Actually, last year's offensive team uh, efficiency ranking was much higher than the championship team, uh, but defense was where uh, they were up and down, and this team has been really good on the defensive end. 
They've been really consistent, and I think they're going to get better and better because they're young, but they have guys that take a lot of pride on the defensive end. And so far, uh, they've gotten it done in, in key situations. They're longer, they're more athletic, uh, and, and I think there's just a desire to get stops. And that's been the focus of this coaching staff and this team since the loss to Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament. They knew they had to get better defensively, and they have in a big way. And I attribute that to that being a major focus. Uh, and also personnel. This is a team that has length and athleticism, uh, and they're built to be a better defensive team. So, you know, I'm not going to say that, that uh, you know, Alabama's going to win them all, and, and hopefully you'll get, get the, the game against Memphis, which will be a tough one tomorrow night. But I wouldn't expect quite the swings that we saw last year simply because this team is a more consistent defensive team. And that's what I want to pounce on here. Our guest, by the way, is Brian Passink of Crimson Tide Sports Network. He is the color analyst for Alabama basketball. I don't know what clicked, and I guess that's what I'm asking you, but when Houston got up 15, Alabama turned into a different team offensively and defensively. Um, and and I, I have a theory that Alabama's constant pressure defensively, Houston ran out of gas a little bit, and Alabama saw it and went for the jugular and that's because of what, Brian, you just said. They turned it up another notch defensively. Yeah, and that was so impressive because that's not typical of young young teams, especially with the guys that were making plays in those situations. Usually young teams panic a little bit when you get down double digits to the number one team on the road. Uh, that is not an easy situation, which is why I was so impressed with how they responded. I thought it was a great combination of young guys stepping up. I thought the coaching staff for Alabama did a terrific job with adjustments, calling timeouts, changing personnel. This is a really deep team, a much deeper team uh, than we saw last year. And you had guys come in like Jaden Bradley, freshman, uh, former McDonald's All-American, who got it done on both ends and, and showed a, a tremendous amount of toughness. Rylan Griffin hitting big shots, getting big rebounds. Noah Clowney, who I just saw is – back-to-back SEC Freshman of the Week, and, and deservedly so. He's, he's been playing at an extremely high level. And, you know, it's just amazing to me that, that this team did that without one of the best players in the country having a good game, and that's Brandon Miller. you got to give Houston a ton of credit. Their game plan was centered around him. But for Alabama to beat a team like Houston on the road in that environment without Brandon Miller scoring a bucket, uh, he was huge at the free throw line, taking care of the ball, made clutch free throws late to seal the victory. Uh, but he did not have his typical game. I wouldn't expect Brandon Miller uh, to have many games like that, which is a scary thing for future Alabama opponents. Brian, a lot of different analysts have different concepts of what it takes to flourish in March, what it takes to make a deep run into the tournament, uh, many points to guard play. Uh, what do you think of this Alabama? I know it's we still have a ways to go before March, a lot of basketball yet to be played, but is this a team that is built to make a run in the tournament? I think they are one of, you know, I don't know, 10, 20 teams in the country that are built that way. Um, but listen, March Madness is March Madness for a reason. Kentucky was built that way last year. I mean, who, who could have imagined that a team – in the top five, we get bounced by St. Peter's uh, in the first round. I mean, you just never know. It's what makes the NCAA tournament, uh, in my opinion, the best uh, postseason in sports. So is Alabama good enough to make a run? 
back to Houston, yeah, they're good enough, but so are several other other teams. You got to be playing your best basketball. You got to improve in some areas that Alabama has been inconsistent with this year. One is taking care of the basketball. Alabama had 12 turnovers in the first half. They corrected that in the second, and that was a big reason why they got the victory. Uh, but that's an area that I think they'll get better and better in. Um, I think these young players will continue uh, to get better. And as long as there's steady improvement, there are going to be bumps in the road. That's just the nature of college basketball. There are going to be games where shots don't fall, where you just don't have it that day. Um, you can't panic when that happens. And I, I say that is uh, for the players <laughs> and fans. That's the nature of college basketball. Uh, but I think this team has a chance to be special. And as long as they continue to work hard, get better, uh, that'll be the case. And I expect those things to happen. I also expect a packed house, don't you? I do. I think it's going to be uh, an incredible environment to come back home after beating number one. I think the fans will show their appreciation. They've been great all season long. And so hopefully we'll have 15,000 in Coleman Coliseum uh, tomorrow night, and it'll be rocking. It will. By the way, if you cannot go, and we certainly urge you to go here on Big News Sports, uh, it is going to be on ESPN, too. Uh, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, I hope you have a lot more flights home like you did Saturday evening. Me, too. That was a good time. <laughs> Hopefully we can do it many more times. But appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. You, too. Um, appreciate all of you listening. We've got Corey and Christian Miller, and then you got Lars and Matt here in the studios in Birmingham. And we've got 90 minutes to play with. And we're going to talk about everything from the Heisman Trophy, a little bit more basketball, some of the other things going on. Will Anderson picks up some more hardware. Don't know how he can carry all that stuff around. But we're also going to entertain your phone calls. And uh, we are starting to work this more into our programming. But uh, the number is 205-342-9904. That's 205-342-9904. Big Noon Sports Call us. Ask us. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. They're big, and they're coming for you. Tax refund advance loans at Jackson Hewitt, up to 4500 bucks. That's big. Like our tax refund advance can be. And the winner for 2022, Caleb Williams. than I anticipated, and I think others as well. But Caleb Williams is out of USC quarterback. We all know the background here. Is the 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. You're back on Big Noon Sports with Matt, Lars, Corey, and Christian. I thought I might throw it to Tuscaloosa initially to get you guys' thoughts. You know, I, I, I think it's what we all were expecting. You know, the numbers he put up this year after transferring over to uh, Southern California with Lincoln Riley, um, you know, 
four, over 4,000 passing yards, 37 uh, touchdowns, and only four interceptions. Um, leading his, his team to a, a solid season. They didn't finish in the Pac-12 championship, uh, but he battled through an injury that game and, and still put up some impressive numbers. But, um, you know, overall, I mean, the guy is an athlete. You know, he makes all the throws. I mean, a lot of um, NFL personnel are, are comparing this guy to Patrick Mahomes and calling him a generational talent. So um, I think I think a lot of people expected that this year. And, uh, you know, good for him to win that Heisman. I, I like that he brought all his, his linemen with him and, and gave them – um, their credit for for their contributions for his success and the team's success. So, really cool to see. And uh, you, you know, I don't think many people are surprised. I mean, it's Lincoln Riley. It's almost like this guy breeds Heisman winners at this point. Yeah, he does. I mean, Caleb Williams was an obvious choice. I think you know, and I think you know, a couple of uh, games in, into the season, he kind of highlighted himself. Uh, the magician, somewhat Patrick Mahomes like. You know, some of the throws, the runs. You know, very innovative. Um, but I still think overall this has become the Heisman of the college football playoff. You know, you had Stetson Bennett, you had Max Duggan, Duggan there. You you know, you had these guys, C.J. Stroud back again for the second year in a row. No Bryce Young, no Michael Penix, a guy that I, I watched a, a lot, you know, Pac-12 at night. I, I You know, I think a guy like that should be worthy to be in New York because that dude was special. I mean, he put up some highlight numbers, and that team, Washington, would be nothing without him. So I think guys like that, you know, instead of a Stetson Bennett who's surrounded by all of this talent and at Georgia running the football, being a, a football manager, uh, gets invited to New York. I love the, you know, the walk-on story is good. But to me, you're doing a disservice for a guy like Michael Penix Jr. I mean, the dude was amazing. Or Quorum at Michigan. Uh, you know, even a Hendon Hooker at Tennessee who got hurt late in the year. These guys were phenomenal uh, during the course of the year. But at the end of the day, uh, I thought his, his speech was good. A little bit long for me. Uh, <laughs> you tell the stories I could have done without all of that. But, um, you know, you know, congratulations. The dude was a baller. He's coming back. And he said well, the work is not finished uh, at Southern Cal. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, it, I, I'm sure if he could go to the NFL, he would. But that is a NFL rule that uh, he cannot come out just after playing college football for two years. And when I look at it, you, you go over the last few years, and uh, there's two things. If you want to win the Heisman Trophy, you either go to Alabama or you get in the transfer portal. <laughs> <Good point. laughs> uh, you go all the way back to 2017, Baker Mayfield. Transfers from Texas Tech to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman. 2018, Kyler Murray transfers from Texas A&M to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman. 2019, Joe Burrow transfers from Ohio State to LSU, wins the Heisman. 2020, we got Smitty, wins the Heisman, uh, who absolutely tore up the Giants yesterday. Devontae Smith, man. Thank you very much. He just gets better and better with every <laughs> game. Uh, and, and, and Bryce Young uh, wins the Heisman in 2021. Two Alabama guys back to back, and now Caleb Williams. You know, just uh, 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 not long ago, he was uh, a backup at Oklahoma, and uh, he follows his coach Lincoln Riley out to uh, Southern California and uh, has a terrific year. And uh, man, I mean, just the amount of talent that they are stacking together, uh, putting together at USC, Matt. Caleb Williams, you never know what's going to happen right next year. Like Bryce Young, we thought that he may have a chance to repeat this year, but, you know, he gets hurt. The wide receivers aren't quite what we thought. But 
Caleb Williams is going to have so much talent around him next year. I would argue more talent next year than he had this year. I would year. agree. I would agree. And, um, you know, he, he's a, a terrific player and, uh, by all accounts, a good kid. Yeah, uh, but I agree with Corey. Uh, about eight minutes too long, uh, as I was keeping a <laughs> clock on it. He almost went 20 minutes. Woo! Uh, but hey, man, that doesn't take give a Heisman speech once. <laughs> yeah, then learn how to do it. <laughs> and then the Sandman, you know, like the uh, the good night at the Apollo, bring out the Sandman. Come yeah, on, uh, right, finish this up. They, <laughs> maybe he could have. Maybe I could have proofed it for him. And Just a, cut down yeah, a that would have helped. In fact, I, I nominate you to do that in the future too. <laughs> okay, you yeah, could have yeah. brought out the vaudeville cane, yeah. the hook. Anyway, enough about that. Let's take a phone <laughs> call Let's uh let's bring on our uh, our first caller of the day, Steve. Welcome into the Big Noon Sports Show. Good afternoon, fellas. How are you? Doing well, Steve. All terrific. Great, Christian. Listen, this is really geared more toward you. I've been kind of been just 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 kind of wondering uh, in your uh, recruitment uh, period. Let's sort of start from the top down. Mm-hmm. All right, <laughs> Alabama comes to see you. Mm-hmm. Alabama. That's it. Alabama. And then Nick Saban. Now you can interchange them if you want to, but technically it's Alabama that is Nick Saban. How much of an effect did, and then for your case, we'll use the defensive coordinator. We'll use the position coach. How much of that goes in or went into your decision to come to Alabama? Because quite frankly, there's a revolving door. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe you don't know from one year to the next who's going to be D.C. in position and position coach. Did that have any effect on your recruitment? It did. Um, well, at least it, I'll say, you know, knowing that Coach Saban was a head coach here at Alabama, that um, played a, a huge uh, role in, in my recruitment um, just based off his track re- record, you know, his proven success um at, at Alabama, you know, it's hard to to overlook that. And and anytime, uh, you know, the the number one team in the country and the 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 best coach arguably ever in college football, you know, comes knocking on your door and says, "Hey, we want you to attend our school and and, and be a member of our team." It's it's hard to turn that down. So that was a huge factor for me, and uh, definitely um, was an honor to have him recruit me. And um, I was aware that you know there there was some coaching turnovers um, throughout the years just because of the success that the program had. But I just knew that as long as Coach Saban was around. Uh, typically the program would still be run in a very similar manner. So I, I wasn't too concerned yeah. with it. And I, and I trusted um, in who he brought in and I knew he would bring in the right coach uh, for the players to, for our development and uh, for our team in, in whole. So yes, sir, that, that, that definitely was a factor for me. Well, that's, that's a great answer. I, I didn't want to take much. That was a great question. Well, I just, I just, it's been stuck in my crawl for a long time, given all the changes. Like I said, it's a revolving door. You never know from one week to the next who's going to be there. And I just was wondering, you know, we, we've had some very good DC. I, I'm not as familiar with, uh, position coaches as, you know, probably most everybody else is, but <clears throat> we've just had, we just had some good DCs, OC across, across the landscape. And with all this talk about Bill O'Brien maybe gone or Pete Golding, uh, it, it just kind of dawned on me: Does that play a factor in anything? If, you know, if you're going into, uh, if you if you're being recruited, you're going to Alabama this year, and you have no idea whether those two are going to be there or not, does that factor in? I, I won't take much of your time. Steve, I just wanted to know what you thought. All right, 
Thank you. Others can chime in as well on Big Noon Sports at 205-342-9904. A story we hadn't even had a chance to get onto. The uh, head basketball coach for the number two team in the nation is still in jail. Unbelievable story coming up next. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. The Literacy Council of West Alabama serves nine counties by getting books into the hands of children and adults. 56, the low tonight, 51. For tomorrow, partially sunny. Any showers will stay few and far between. The high at 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson, uh, the Millers are present. That is Corey and Christian and uh, Matt Coulter here kind of driving the ship and uh, pretty successful sale for the first hour. As I mentioned going to the break, uh, they were number two, but they uh, lost last week. Texas is now number seven, having dropped five, five slots since they lost to Illinois. But uh, Texas's head basketball coach, from this latest report that I have here, is not he is still in jail following domestic violence could be a third degree felony i read one where one place where that's up to as much as 10 years in jail yeah so he uh, apparently is still going through the booking process at the uh, Travis County Jail uh, in Austin and he was arrested and booked at 4:18 a.m. You know, Coach Saban says nothing good ever happens after midnight. You know who I, said that before Saban? Who? My daddy. <laughs> yeah, my dad, too. <laughs> I bet Corey Miller said it as well. <laughs> uh, but Beard, he was a... Uh, he was arrested on third-degree charge of assault of a family member, household member, uh, and impeding breath or strangulation. All right, so Austin police have told uh, reporters that they received what they call, quote-unquote, a disturbance, disturbance hotshot call. And that means uh, the, that these calls, they're incidents which are in progress and are an immediate threat to life or public safety. And these calls are dispatched immediately. Like this is, you know, code blue type of stuff. Like you get there as fast as you can. And, uh, and, uh, and it, you know, apparently uh, the coach's attorney, Beard's attorney, Perry Minton, he told the Austin American statesman that Beard is uh, 100% innocent of the charges, and he told the paper that he never should have been arrested and that the complainant, uh, presumably that's his wife, uh, wants him re- released immediately and all charges dismissed. Well, look, when there is a domestic disturbance call, uh, it's my understanding that uh, like 99.9% of the time somebody is going to jail right and especially <laughs> when it's a hot shot a disturbance hot shot call then that sort of elevates it because of the uh, imminent potential. danger yeah exactly. imminent danger yeah but that's a great way to put it um and so chris beard is in a world of trouble right now 
And uh, frankly, it, it's hard to envision him coaching this Texas team anytime soon, if ever again. That's just my quick take on it. With I mean, I, I, I listed all the facts that I am aware of. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty. But uh, l- let me just go down to Tuscaloosa. And, and Corey, I'll start with you. Uh, just your reaction to this, and I know we're running really short on time. I, I think it's just a shame. I mean, you know, I don't know the, the, the true facts. I know what's being reported, but but the fact that you are a coach and a leader of young men, you you suppose to set an example, right? And that's not if true. You know, he's accused of something, but you know that you know strangulation or you know, a family member, wife, whomever uh, that this coach is having these issues is not setting the standard of what these young men need to see. And I think that's my biggest takeaway. You know, uh, we all have things in our lives and personal situations that come about. But uh, when you're a coach, when you're in charge of, of young men, is this, is this the example that you you want to set? No. I mean, so this is a problem. And, um, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. But in today's world, you're pretty much guilty until you prove yourself innocent. Let's just be yeah, real about it with social media. On- Particularly on charges like this. Yeah. Right. Uh, Either per- side now. I'm not differentiating. Perception is reality, unfortunately. Right. And uh, this, is a, it's a, this is a tough situation. Christian, real quick, your your response to this. I agree with my dad right there, but I think the most alarming thing is this is the second one in, what, two weeks now? I think Mickey Joseph was arrested. You know, your guy, uh, uh, yeah, Lars, yeah. up there in Nebraska, yeah. unfortunately. Similar situation. So I just think it's kind of unacceptable. Uh, I mean, I, I hope we get this cleaned up. Just, it's not room for it. And, in today's society. Agreed, 100%. Hey, we've uh, gotten through a through an hour in a hurry. <laughs> that hour took about 45 minutes. Okay, uh, we hadn't even touched on Auburn's got some DCs and OCs that they have hired, uh, and OC and DC, let me word it properly. Uh, also, Lars, I hate to get back into something negative, but Qatar, journalists, back in the news. They're big, and they're coming for you. Tax refund advance loans at Jackson Hewitt, up to 4500 bucks. That's big. Like our tax refund advance can beat up. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Actually, we've added a Miller. It's Miller and Company at our Tuscaloosa flagship station. Down tied 100.9. Appreciate you folks dialing in. But Corey Miller, Christian's dad, who offers a lot to this show and to uh, sports journalism, is uh, with us as well. And we're going to jump right into some Auburn hires. And I will give you the information, and then we'll get the Miller report from down in Titletown. Ron Roberts has been hired as the defensive coordinator. He was there uh, leading Baylor to top ten status for three years, and then the offensive coordinator is Philip Montgomery. Uh, he was head coach at Tulsa up until 2022, uh, and he was recently let go but hired as the offensive coordinator at Auburn. Um, guys, I don't know that much about these guys just from, you know, from what I've read, um, but I will say this and, and hand it over to Corey and to Christian. I am not overwhelmed <laughs> oh, <is> that it? <laughs> uh, go ahead, Chris. I'll let you start. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I have to 
to to read a little bit more on these guys. But from from what I'm what I'm seeing, you know, to to bring in a former head coach, obviously that guy has some valuable experience coaching and um, has has a lot to offer the, uh, that that program and that coaching staff. So. Um, I think it's an interesting hire, and, and, and as long as it, it fits in with uh, Hugh Freeze's values and, and he, he does his part to, to, to help establish that culture there, I think it, it could work. But uh, I guess we're going to have to see how it plays out. And, um, again, I, I think it is a you know, valuable um, asset to have to you know a, for, a former head coach on your coaching staff. I've, I've experienced that here in Tuscaloosa. We've had some former head coaches, and you know those guys always – um, are, are bright minds and, and know a lot about the game and, and obviously add a lot of valuable experience. Well, I think, you know, a lot of times we look for that splash hire, you know, that, that big name that's out there that everybody is going to recognize. In this case, we don't. You know, we're like, well, who is that? we got to hit Wikimedia, uh, Wikipedia excuse me, and Google and all these things to try to find out some information. But, but I think the offensive coordinator, from what I heard this morning and was reading up on, it's going to be somewhat from that same family of, you know, Browns and those guys up tempo spread you out that type of offense which I think sets up for what what coach want to do he freeze wants to do he wants to play fast want to spread you out you know we've seen a lot of that this, these days so I think you're going to see that offensively from Auburn uh, and the defensive coordinator uh, I was hearing and reading uh, come from the same family tree of someone we know here in Tuscaloosa uh, from Delta State anybody know that that name who's that Pete Golden, I think I think this this guy came from some of that same tree of Pete Golden, Delta State. Uh, so they had some of the same tutelage, uh, if you will. So again, not nothing sexy or fancy about these names, but sometimes guys, those guys make the biggest difference because nobody knows much about them. They come in, uh, you know, and you see uh, uh, that they can do some big things. So we just got to wait and see. But I, but from a name drop thing, I have no idea. Yeah, so both of these guys, interestingly, spent time at Baylor. And I don't know the exact relationship between Art Bryles and Hugh Freeze. I believe they have one. But uh, Ron Roberts, I actually like this uh, this hire as a defensive coordinator because he's been the D, the, the D coordinator at Baylor under Dave Aranda for the last three years. And as we know about Aranda... The guy can coach defense, yes, right? So it's like he, he, he he's, you know, and, and Baylor's defense was top 10 in scoring in 2021 uh, during the Bears' uh, run to the Big 12 championship. And so uh, th- that's good, right? Uh, and then Philip Montgomery, as the offensive coordinator, his sort of claim to fame is that he worked as the quarterback's coach at Baylor when uh, Robert Griffin won the Heisman Trophy. So he worked a little magic on RG3, or, you know, it, it helps to have a talented quarterback. Uh, <laughs> makes coaches uh, yes. look a lot better. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Corey, let me ask you this. Is it – how important is it that the coaching staff really get along? Uh, and, and, and Hugh Freeze, I mean, you don't want to hire your buddies, right, as as, as uh, position coaches or offensive-defensive coordinators. I think you want to have guys who maybe have different ideas than you do, and then it becomes a battle of ideas and a intellectual discussion. But it has to be done with respect. And I'm, I'm just wondering if either one of you, and I'll start with you, Corey, have you been on a staff where you, you detect – tension between the coaches and i would assume that that if you did 
that would lead to really bad things for the team uh, moving forward? That's a good question, um, Lars. I think, you know, I've seen coaches that didn't like each other. Uh, you could tell that they weren't going to be getting together for family dinners. <laughs> you know, um, they they just had an issue for whatever reason. I have been around that. But at the same time, it, they kept the business, right? They kept the, 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 the thing, the thing, so to speak. I mean, they went about the business. Uh, they got the job done. It does make it uncomfortable, especially when players understand and realize that two coaches don't like each other. But I think, it, you know, it's really important that you find coaches that, that fit together. That, you know, and that's from the head coach stemming down, same core values. Uh, they bind to what the, the head coach is presenting or selling. And, and, and that fit is going to help them gel better as a team uh, for that common goal, to, which is to win. So uh, fit is very important. I, I know at South Carolina with Shane Beamer, as he looks for an offensive coordinator, you know, one thing he says, he has to find the guy that's the best fit, meaning fit from an identity standpoint of, of what they're trying to do offensively, fit from a cultural standpoint, uh, family, all of that is important uh, because he talks about all that needs to be embraced in order to to win. I know Christian uh, probably seen that too, especially here at Alabama with, with having so much turnover. <laughs> Coaches leave it every year. Uh, you know, you got to have a, a good fit. Well, no, you're exactly right. You hit the nail on the head, and that's what I was going to mention. You know, I'm not going to say any names, but um, you definitely can tell um, the difference b- between a coach uh, that comes and joins a staff that fits in, that gels with the other guys, that, that can work cohesively with other coaches, and they just mesh, right, uh, versus a coach um, that doesn't see eye to eye and doesn't understand the dynamic that he's in. That, you know, you just sense that there's friction. The players can sense the friction. They're butting head. They're butting heads on game plans you know they're button heads in the game in game situations they're not seeing eye to eye and there's just a lot of tension and uh it doesn't seem to work as well so typically when you have a coach that fits in the the system correctly and can really mesh with everyone um typically you see much more success throughout the program hey we got a story right up your alley here christian miller and that's keon keely who evidently uh has mentored you for many years uh, he's an edge rusher out of Tampa, Florida. Has just, just committed to the University of Alabama. Um, this he, kid looks a lot. Looks a lot. He's a huge kid. He looks uh, a lot I, like Christian Miller. He seriously. does. He does. And I, I've been sort of like obsessed with him ever since our recruiting expert Andrew Bone had been talking about Keon Keeley. You know, he was Notre Dame's number one overall target. This is the guy they wanted. This is the guy they obsessed over, and Keeley committed to them, and he was going to be the cornerstone of their uh, 2023 class. And he's a defensive end, 6'6", 242, Mm. uh, had offers from everywhere, uh, Alabama, Notre State, Notre Dame, and the list goes on and on and on. And decommits from Notre Dame. He's been taking different trips, uh, Ohio State, uh, was really going hard after him, and he was being recruited by Larry Johnson Sr., uh, who's a terrific recruiter. You know, his, his son, Larry Johnson, had a great career uh, at, uh, at, at in the NFL. But, um, but uh, Christian, what do you know about Keon, and, uh, and how big is this for Alabama? It's a huge get, and uh, funny enough, I can share this now uh, that he went ahead and committed. He actually reached out to me uh, – 
a little while ago, and uh, he basically just flat out said, hey, you know, um, I've always been a big fan of you and Terrell Lewis. I think one of the recruiting experts that came on had mentioned that last week. And uh, But anyway, Keon had reached out to me, and, and he just said, hey, you know, I just um, would, would, would love to kind of, you know, ask you a few questions about the program and, and whatnot. And, and it spoke volumes about his character and uh, his maturity. And um, I, I actually got on the phone with him and, and um, spoke to him for a little while. Then I got to meet him when he had come on campus um, for a visit. And uh, I was doing some sideline reporting. And, man, just a tremendous young man. Um, definitely has a bright future, um, you know, in terms of as a player. I mean, he's got all the measurables. He's 6'6", six, six, uh, probably 240 pounds plus, and, and uh, overall a tremendous Sad. athlete. And uh, I'm excited <laughs> to get him uh, down here on campus. You know, if I'm around, I'd love to be able to work with him because I know he had mentioned that as well. But um, a huge get for Alabama. Uh, but most importantly, he just has um, a really good head on his shoulders. And, and again, I think he's going to be so successful because of that. And uh, he, it's funny, he really does remind me a lot of me, uh, even just off the field. Um, but um, I'm really excited to, to have him down here and uh, can't wait to uh, get him down here and maybe even work with him. Isn't that weird? You know, well, even though. It's <laughs> yeah. it, it crazy because I, yeah. was, I was like, well, me, me out of all people, I was like, you know, I'm still, you know, young and whatnot. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he'd probably be watching Vaughn Miller or uh, any, you know, Cleo Mack. But, you know, he, he's like, oh, no, man, I, I, I watched you and Terrell Lewis on YouTube all wow. the time. And I was like, really? But well, it, this, was, this, this didn't just happen today. He was contacting you several months ago. And, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, Lars and I both agree that you have scored an A-plus on your journalism ethics course under – Professor Lars Anderson, because you know how to differentiate what's personal and what's professional, and you just did that. And you know how much I'm surprised? Negative ten. You protected zero. You protected your confidential source. But I am curious. You hear athletes. You hear athletes say, you know, so and so reached out to me. Well, let's say I want to reach out to Kamala Harris, a vice president of the United States. That'd be really tough for me to do. How does one reach out to you? Like, did he have a somebody who knew you, who had your cell phone? Like, how, how does that work? Does he go through the Alabama athletic department? How does that work? No, he actually reached out to me on social media, and um, I've been hearing his name a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people were talking about him on the recruiting trail. And uh, when he had messaged me, I, I kind of recognized the name. And um, when I read the message, I was like, oh, man, I was like, that was really nice because he basically started the messages saying, man, you know, I've always been a big fan and this and that. And, and, uh, I told him, I was like, oh, I really appreciate that. Man. I'd, I'd love for you to, you know, give me a call if you ever, you know, want to talk and, you know, you know, just ask me whatever you want to ask about the program or, or, or ball, whatever. And, uh, we got on the phone and had a, had a really nice conversation. And, uh, again, I can't say enough about, um, you know, the, the kid he is and the, and the maturity he has already at such a young age. And, again, I'm so excited for him. Uh, I think he's going to be a tremendous player here and uh, definitely uh, fill a, a big void that we're going to have coming up, losing guys like Will Anderson and then eventually, you know, Dallas Turner probably uh, the following year. Can I add something here? So this, base, ba- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say this is why it's important uh, that the universities use former players, right? Because in today's world of social media, there is – the availability to, to con- contact, as Christian mentioned, let me message him on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. I've been watching. So they can have that contact. And, and I've been saying this for years as it pertains to South Carolina, as using former players. You know, I mentor athletes, and, you know, they'll message me on Twitter when they, they hear about me working with this guy or that guy. And, and they can help your programs immensely. So you got a guy like Christian Miller who played a position who this guy looks up to 
who has a you know his masters, has undergrad, played in the league, did all these different things, good off the field, great character. Why wouldn't you want to have a guy like that in you know Jamie Mosley right now that's over there? Right, you got to have these high character kids that continue to stay a part of your program because it continues to help that dynasty going. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Paul Feinbaum, it's not dead uh, here at Alabama. I'm saying that dynasty is uh, still. Well, well, hey, is not necessary there. <laughs> let me let me let me just say in, in my book, and I'll, I'll tweet it out. Christian Miller was the closer on getting the number one edge rusher to Alabama. I was Good just, job, Christian Miller. Good job. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, is this guy going to Alabama without CM, without 47? I don't think so. But then That's again, pretty he big. He called me this morning. Yeah, he is. Good job, Chris. <laughs> hey, uh, as, uh, as we roll on, uh, my uh, bromance and my barbershop conversations with Corey Miller continue. He mentioned a school, a place that I don't know how many people keep up with just a minute ago, and I got to dive into it with Cleveland, Mississippi when we get back. Oh, yeah. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can... 66, the low tonight, 51. For tomorrow, partially sunny. Any showers will stay few and far between. The high at 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. It's Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. we got the Millers down in Tuscaloosa. It's tied. That is uh, Christian and Corey. I just want to touch base because when we first started talking about the OC and DC names at Auburn, uh, one of the names that popped up was Ron Roberts. And immediately, Corey starts talking about his association with one particular school and one particular coach uh, or one particular coach that's going. And in this case, that's uh, Ron Roberts who is going to uh, be at Auburn now. But, Corey, you mentioned Delta State. My eyes, my ears immediately mm-hmm. open widely because of their un- – and I hope – I don't know if Christian and Lars are aware of this, but they have an unbelievable football history in the Gulf South Conference where they dominated, and that was not easy to do. But some of the other names that pop up on the statesman's resume, Dave Aranda, uh, Todd Cooley is the current coach. Pete Golding, isn't that what you mentioned a minute ago, Corey? Yep, yep. Mark Hudspeth, who uh, went on to be a head coach at several colleges and universities. Um, guy named Rick Rhodes, who I've worked with. I used to do a lot of broadcasts, uh, football and basketball, in the Gulf South Conference. And I think, I think Corey's a lot like I am. When I hear Delta State, I hear good football. Great football. And, you know, I go down to the Delta Every single year for a golf event, celebrity golf event for my great friend Steve Azar, 
and uh, he's a singer-songwriter. You know that song, I Don't Have to Be Me Until Monday. Um, puts on a great event down in Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, not Probably about 30, 40 miles from Cleveland, Mississippi. And I know a lot of the doctors there that work with Delta State that know Pete uh, Golden very well. So I, I, I got to know Pete uh, from some friends down in Greenville, Mississippi years ago. And, and I learned about the history of Delta State and how good they were and all the, the lineage, if you will, that you just alluded to, all these great coaches that have come through Delta State. And I think that's a good story. Lars, I think that's something, man, you can go do some research because that's some good stuff down there in the Delta. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm always looking for gems like that. Uh, those are the, the types of stories that everybody wants to tell are the ones that are sort of hidden and, uh, and, and difficult to get access to. So, yeah, a- a- absolutely, Matt. There's some good catfish. Love that there. league. <laughs> you better know oh, that. Oh, man, I'm not a catfish guy. Oh, at all. man. You know, uh, no. Corey, no. when you're named Lars and you're from Nebraska, <laughs> you don't <laughs> eat fried catfish. I was, I was, we were going after This is a true story, y'all. This is a true story. It goes back to several conversations Lars and I have had. But we were planning on going out to dinner, and, and I said, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I may have said Hot and Hot Fish. I said, they have really good fish. He goes, Matt. I'm from Nebraska, okay? <laughs> it's beef. It's steak. it's steak. And then we had a very similar conversation. I said, hey, Lars, we need to go down to the beach, go to Florabama, throw down some oysters, some cold beer. And he said, I'm from Nebraska. Let's go to the mountains. <laughs> oh, oh, so if there's, if, if, if there's every – and y'all are from Carolina where they have the low country boils and the mm-hmm. oysters and all that. So you're kind of like me. It's hard to understand a guy that can't eat a really good piece of – of fried catfish. I'm I can eat mahi-mahi. I can eat, it, like, it, as long as it doesn't taste like fish, I can eat fish. Uh, right? Mahi-mahi is very subject. You put enough lemon and butter on it, it tastes like lemon and butter. Oh, it's wow, like, man. you know, when I was in college, we would have these hamburgers, and they were just so awful. But you put enough ketchup on it, you know what? It tastes like ketchup. Have you, <laughs> do you not eat oysters? <laughs> I do eat oysters. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Rockefeller like probably. probably Rockefeller. As long as, as long as well, the other reason. No, <laughs> oysters. Uh, rock. I like raw oysters. Believe it or not. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I do. I'm, I'm gonna back off just a little Put bit. Put a lot of horseradish on it. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, cocktail sauce and mm. put it on a cracker. And man, you just take it down. Well, it has, Lars, to, it has to be an R in the month. Lars, right? I've been out to Omaha several times when South Carolina's baseball team was playing for. That natty three years in a row when I was doing TV and radio back back in South Carolina, we were covering that, and we went we ate some good steak out there for sure uh, in Omaha. I'm, I'm thinking of this old place. It's like a country place with steel plates and you know buffet style salads, yeah. and uh, everybody just raved <laughs> oh, yeah. about going out here at this place in Omaha to eat. And man, I hurt myself out there. It was really good. I mean, those old <laughs> old you know salad bars. It's cold, you know that. The old cut-up yeah. cheese, yeah. and it was really good. It was. I gained about yeah. 12, 14 Serve pounds. Yourself salad. Yeah, the endless salad bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, man, there's so many good steakhouses all throughout Nebraska and Kansas. It's hard to find a good one here in Birmingham. It really is. I, I like Perry's a lot, uh, but that's a chain. But I, I don't know of a steakhouse uh, that is not a chain that is in Birmingham that compares to anything in the Midwest. Oh, wow. I think there is one in Tuscaloosa. Now I can't remember. Um, 
Do people still go to Nick's? Christian, you heard of Nick's in the Sticks? Nick's in the Sticks. Over there in Tuscaloosa? They, they do. I, yeah. I want to say they, they cater to the, the football team a good bit, too. So, yeah, we, yeah. we enjoy them a lot. Now, they'll drop. We used to save up all of our meal money for the entire month. I imagine y'all, to, so we could go to Nick's and get a, what was it called? A zombie was the drink they had, and they, they could put a steak on you. Uh, but uh, all we're talking about with the fish and the oysters, that kind of stuff, uh, three guy, uh, four guys here are not afraid of a steak either, Lars. I mean, we, we do respect, <laughs> as Corey just said, we respect your history there in the Midwest. Yes. Uh I, I assume that the the the, the food at uh, uh, the, for the Alabama football players at the training table is just off the charts good. It's probably that's probably where the best steak is. Christian would be at the training table. Yeah, definitely. But there's one day in particular that that's the day to go, and that is the first day of fall camp, and that's because they unload every everything they have. They they let it all out. They, the crab legs, the the steak. The, the shrimp, just everything you can imagine. The desserts, they, they spoil you real good because they, they know you're about to go through hell <laughs> the next three weeks. So that first day of training it's like camp. A la- it's, a, it's a last meal kind of thing. It's a last meal deal. That's exactly what it is. They they lather you and get you all excited. And they're like, you're like, oh, man, this is going to be great. We can do this. So you get out in that dang 105-degree heat with them shoulder pads and helmets on. <laughs> and that lobster and that, that shrimp and stuff, it, it's not as much. You still get steak and chicken, but that lobster and shrimp, they saved that for that first day of camp. <laughs> hey, Christian, I, I'm curious. I should know this. Uh, I used to when I was going over there um, you know, covering Alabama on a regular basis. Where is the actual facility now? It used to be right there in Bryant Hall. I have no idea where they put this huge restaurant up now. So what they did was, uh, Matt, they moved it into the the Malmore football complex, and there's two levels. So the first level is uh, typically, well, not typically, specifically for uh, all sports. Um, However, the the top level of the dining hall now is reserved only for football and, and its staff. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's in the Moore building, right off of you know the practice fields and, and, and the coach's office. So now it's um, a lot easier to get to for guys. They can just go you know on their way into the facility to go to practice. They can grab a quick bite to eat, and when they're leaving, they can grab their food. You know, Bryant Hall was a really good location too, because I mean it was right next to our dorm rooms. But uh, they they moved it over to Moore and uh, really nice location. It's really. Really good food in there, and man, now I'm just thankful they still they still allow me. Miss Amy Bragg, who's in charge of all that, uh, she still oh, allows yeah. me and, and and the guys to eat over there when we're in town. So very thankful for that. Mm. Back when I was a single guy, and well, you guys know that was a long, long time ago. I would get two really good meals a day, and that's back when the media would go and eat after the news conference with the players and the coaches. It was really cool. They don't do that anymore. But I was guaranteed one on Monday in Tuscaloosa and my second at Auburn. And uh, that would have to last me until the next week. But uh, even back then, the meals, the preparation, and the attention to detail on what players eat, that existed back when Bryant was the coach. So they have always fed you guys really well there, Christian. Always, always. That's always going to be there, too. As long as uh, Miss Amy is in charge, she takes such good care of us, man. I mean, and. Any anything you could imagine, they they always are serving, and they always they have cool things like food demos where she allows the players to come up there, and you can cook your own dish. It's a lot of fun, and guys have a lot of fun doing it. We try to compete with each other, see who can make the best dish. So, so so much stuff going on in that building. It's, it, it brings back such good memories. Cool stuff. Yeah, wish I could. Are you guys Peyton Manning fans? <laughs> 
I'll, I'll yeah. ask this uh, to Mr. Miller as we go on the break. Do you, which version of Monday Night Football do you watch, the Mannings or the regular OTA? I've kind of switched over uh, the last couple of times and to check out the Mannings because I think it's so entertaining. And Joe Buck and Troy Aikman some wears on me a little bit. <laughs> And Troy gets talking very slow. Well, you see right here, Joe, you know, he was supposed to run the dig route right there. And I don't understand what, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers was looking at, but he had the deep post behind the dig route. But, you know, if he continues to play like this right here, I tell you, it's going to be a long night for the Green Bay Packers. So I listen to the Mannix. Here's, a, here's another story about Peyton you guys know. <laughs> I also got to talk about on the other side – the passing of my good friend Grant Wall, uh, who was the preeminent soccer writer, not just in the United States, but in the world, uh, passed away at age 49 uh, while covering the World Cup. A lot of questions surrounding his death, um, and we'll get into that on the other side. And it's well, This just, is a friend uh, of yours, right? You uh, worked at SI with him. one of my closest buddies. We worked together for 15 years. We were, you know, young reporters together, living in our, we were in our 20s. Uh, because at Sports Illustrated, the work week back then, your days off were Tuesday and Wednesday. You pretty much were forced to hang out with your colleagues. And so we played a lot of pickup hoops, a lot of pickup hoops, and, uh, you know, would hit the bars together and just lived a, a fun life in our 20s in New York City. Uh, and, uh, and now we've lost Grant, and it's uh, really, really sad, really sad. You're listening to Big Noon Sports with Lars, Corey, Christian, and Matt. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Where does the magic of the holidays come from? The North Pole? Maybe. Sugar Plum Fairies? Probably not. At Walgreens, we know that magic comes from you. It's the Halls. You've dialed in Big Noon Sports in Gadsden, Aniston, Birmingham, and Tuscaloosa. Thank you for tuning us in. Matt Coulter here along with Lars Anderson, and we've got the Millers, both Corey and Christian. Uh, are down at our flagship station in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Lars uh, read with uh, uh, with a heavy heart that a photojournalist had died at Qatar. But Friday, uh, we've got uh, some text messages from you along our group, kind of business text, if you will. It's personal, too. But uh, you lost a friend last past Yeah, week. I lost uh, Grant Wall. Uh, Grant and I grew up together at Sports Illustrated. It's been 15 years together. Um, you know, h- hanging out, uh, talking. We both were from the Midwest. I'm from Nebraska. Grant was from Kansas. And uh, he he made this uh, – he was the first one that wrote a cover story on LeBron James. It's an iconic cover, and it's called The Chosen One. And LeBron James has commented on Grant's death. Uh, they're talking about Grant's death in Japan. They're talking about it in Russia. They're talking about it in South America. They're talking about it all throughout Africa. I mean, you, it is hard to express what a profound impact Grant had on the world's most popular sport. He's got about a million Twitter followers, 
and uh, he wielded more influence over American soccer than I would argue than any other person in the last 20 years. And if you have a kid right now who is playing soccer, you know what? Grant Wall had something to do with that. And, and that is why we're all just so stunned that Grant is he's gone, you know, just in an eye blink. And just a little bit of backstory here. Grant had complained of uh, chest issues, and he went and saw a, uh, a doctor twice while over in Qatar, and he'd been there for uh, several weeks in the Middle East. And, um, and he got some antibiotics, and he said, uh, or he wrote that he was starting to feel better, but he also wrote that he felt like his body was sort of breaking down and that he really needed sleep and he needed to, to recover. And, uh, and then, he was, um, then he said he started to feel better, and he was covering a, a game that was just on, on Friday, uh, one that went to uh, extra time. And uh, I am friends with the reporter who was sitting next to Grant, and um, this reporter, I talked to him, and I, I, I can't even – what he saw was horrible. He saw he I saw he saw his friend die right in front of him, and uh, he just Grant collapsed. They're calling it a heart attack, but you also have to remember that that uh, an autopsy needs to be done because Grant was the last thing he wrote was uh, really he was attacking the Qatari government, and he said they just don't care. Qatari World Cup organizers don't even hide their apathy over migrant worker deaths, including the most recent one. And Grant was a huge advocate for those who didn't have a voice for themselves. And, uh, and, and it, it, you know, so many migrant workers have died in Qatar in building these massive venues in 140-degree heat. Uh, and then Grant also, his brother uh, recently came out and uh, is, is, is gay and is married. And so Grant wore a rainbow-colored um, shirt to one of the matches earlier in the uh, World Cup, and he was detained for about 45 minutes because uh, he was detained by security, not allowed into the stadium because homosexuality is illegal in Qatar. And, you know... They finally let Grant go, but clearly Grant was, you know, uh, doing the metaphorical middle finger to the Qatari government. Now, is there foul play involved? Uh, it, it certainly doesn't seem like it. His brother, in a very emotional um, uh, video that he posted just right after he heard that Grant had passed, said that, you know, uh, his brother had been uh, murdered. But uh, you, you can you can kind of understand, right, Matt? In in the in the heat of the moment there, Absolutely. and you're just overwhelmed with grief and shock. And, and his brother quickly took down the video, but it, it went viral. And uh, so there will be a lot of questions asked. And and not, not to mention his, his beautiful wife Celine. She is a top expert in the United States on on um, COVID. 
And I believe she's worked with the, the Biden administration. She worked with the Trump administration in trying in, in fighting COVID. She's uh, one of the foremost uh, uh, infectious disease experts, not just in the U.S., but in the world. And so I know if Grant had been back in the United States and he's complaining of, uh, of chest problems, he would have gotten an EKG, you know. And then when he – and that would have – that would have found any, anything. And then when he collapsed, they didn't have a defibrillator at this stadium that costs over a billion dollars to build. <laughs> I mean, what the hell is going on here? Well, it, it doesn't add up. It certainly allows for much suspicion. Although, what I've read, and what, what I've read too, yeah. appears that it was. It appears I, a natural I don't like cause. Natural cause of it. That. That seems it, but to it's, likely it, be the case. It, it's just uh, it, it's just so heartbreaking, gut wrenching, and and but literally, like one good thing that's come out of it is that the world is talking about Grant and what a great reporter he was, what a great writer. I mean, man, he uh, he came into the SI offices fresh out of Princeton in 1996, and he was as confident as any young writer I've ever seen because he knew. Hey, I'm better than you, you know, like in terms of when it, when it came to putting words together. And uh, but the thing is, like, man, we were just all friends again because I because of our weird work week. You know, our work week started on Thursday. Uh, we were off on Saturday. We worked four days a week off on Saturday. We'd be there all day Sunday, closing the magazine. And then we'd be off on Tuesday, Wednesday. And and again, because of the uniqueness of it. We would all hang out together and socialize and have dinner parties and and go on double dates or blind dates or set people up. Well, Monday you know, and just, Tuesday were your Friday and Saturday yeah, nights, and yes. that's how you socialize. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was uh, it was a great time, and in a lot of ways, I feel like part of my history died when Grant died, and it's 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 just because he's the first one of our group. Our core group who, who who's passed away, and I still think of us as these you know twenty year old kids uh, from all around the country who are the best at what they do, and and at the time you know SI was the gold standard of where you wanted to be. Corey, you certainly remember that those days, and um, yep. it's just uh, it's just a shock. It's just a shock. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have anything to add in Tuscaloosa, uh, but it, it's just uh, heartbreaking. And, and hopefully, uh, I, I, I just hope that the autopsy gives the family peace, mm. and that and that and that they can they can you know take solace in whatever they find. And uh, and Grant certainly packed a lot into his forty nine years, guys. Yeah, you know, and I just want to offer you my, you know, condolences and my sympathies. You know, and I can only imagine what you're going through. I mean, the, the, the y'all's relationship reminds me of, you know, one of a teammate almost, and uh, how much time y'all spent together and kind of grew together. So I can only imagine how that is. And I'm just praying for his family as well and all his loved ones. And uh, I guess one positive I can almost pull out of it is, you know, it, it, he was, you know, doing what he loved to do and what he was known for. Yeah. And, and, and um, you know, I, I feel like. Sometimes God works in mysterious ways, but it, and I pray it was for natural causes. But if and, and if it was, you know, 
you know, having that happen, covering, you know, his, his sport and um, what he was iconic at is, you know, I guess one positive to look at, even though it's just a terrible tragedy and all. But, man, I, I know it's tough for you. And if I can do anything for you, man, let me know. You can always reach out to me, Lars. You know, I'd, I'd love to, to help you any way I can, brother. Yeah, it's, uh, Thanks, brother. just a tough story. Um, you know, there's, you know, reason, I think, you know, for speculation uh, based on what you just said. I mean, it makes you think, wow, what what, what really happened? But, uh, again, uh, an autopsy will tell exactly maybe uh, what went on. But, again, a man that uh, was living out his dream and was doing something not just for our country but for the world, covering soccer and many other things, but also standing up for something that he strongly believed in and, and helping those that could not help themselves is always honorable, uh, in my opinion. So may the Lord bless him and his family and all those that are connected and give them uh, the peace that only God can give. Corey, you always put things better than I can. I'm jealous. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> he's a pastor of pain. Sometimes yeah, he he's does the have pastor. a way with words. Yes, yes, he does. You write a lot better. Hey, than we will I can. get to the. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Peyton that. Manning's story in just a minute. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. It's the Tuscaloosa Community Calendar, powered by Pepsi. American Freight, located in Northport, is collecting donations to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Alabama. 66, the low tonight, 51. For tomorrow, partially sunny. Any showers will stay few and far between. The high at 65. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. About to wrap up this edition of Big Noon Sports with Lars, Corey, Christian, and Matt. I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in the Saturday Night Live era. I remember when it first came on in 1975 when it had this original cast and been watching it pretty much ever since, uh, until recently, but I'm not going to go that. But one of the funniest skits ever was with Peyton Manning, and he was practicing with the kid, and it was a total opposite of the United Way commercials where NFL players actively work with children to make them not just better football players, but better people. But this was Peyton Manning scolding, admonishing, and at times cursing kids. And I'm going to try something. This is a little unorthodox for radio. But I found the one piece that I wanted to play for y'all and why I'm bringing up this story. So hang on. Let's see if this works. Okay, uh, that's probably enough if if you could hear it. But uh, I, I think they potted up, they potted it up just a little bit. But Manning drops back to pass and he spegs a kid in the back of the head, drops him to the ground, and then sends him to the porta potty. <laughs> but do y'all remember this, Corey? You you're probably more of a Saturday Night Live guy 
than perhaps your son. But do y'all remember this particular skit? I don't. I do. I actually, yeah, ironically, I, I remember it exactly. <laughs> uh, he was horrible. And, and the, the tagline was, uh, you know, support the United Way and, you know, spend time with your children so Peyton Manning doesn't have to. Um, because he was just, he was just horrible. Anyway, the kid that he's begged in the back of the head is named Jack. Jack has grown and got married, so Peyton Manning was asked if he would send a toast, and he did. I guess he did it by video, and here it is. Jack, Peyton Manning here, best wishes to you and your bride for eternal happiness. You know, I threw a few touchdowns. I had a few wins, but for the most part... When people come up to me on the street, they recognize me for one reason, for pegging you in the back of the head. Thank you for blessing me with that opportunity to hit you in the face. Best of luck, best wishes, Peyton Manning. Nice. That's awesome. Pitch perfect. These guys are gold. Um, Yeah. Uh, Speaking of somebody who wasn't gold last week was uh, Mac Jones, and we saw Mac Jones going after his uh, offensive coordinator, whether it's Mike Patricia or whoever else they put in charge there in New England. Uh, and they're playing tonight, uh, guys. Uh, Arizona Cardinals are hosting the Patriots. It's a big game for the Patriots if they want to stay in contention for the last wild card. They're at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Start with you, Christian. Just expectations for Mac Jones tonight after telling his de- offensive coordinator – don't run the blank and ball uh, on the sideline. That was captured by uh, every camera there in uh, Foxborough last week. Yeah, I have, I have big expectations for Mac. You know, he's always been a fiery guy. You know, I, I, I'm dating that back to his time on the scout field, and he'd be going against the, the first-team defense, and he he would have a couple times where he'd start picking us apart and making some good throws, and he's running off at the mouth. He's talking crap, cussing at us, <laughs> just having fun. So that that's the type of competitor he, uh, he is. And uh, he definitely is not going to shy away from speaking his mind, especially when he's you know animated and his his emotions are running high in the football game. So I'm hoping he can go back out there and, and help get those guys back on track. Um, you know, it's not going to be an easy uh, challenge. You know, you got Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, but um, I think uh, I think he gets back on track tonight, and I, and I, I expect him to have a pretty good game. The one thing I can tell you Christian, in the yeah. National Football League, you better have a good pedigree when you start cussing your team, especially your offensive lineman and your, your coordinator out, right? <laughs> you better, yeah. He better go out there and play lights out because he's going to find himself back on the pine again because I, I remember Phil Simms used to have his battles, and he could do that. He's won a Super Bowl, and he's been the incumbent for a long time. He could do that, but Matt has to be a little, a little careful because if he's not playing well, then that comes back to bite you, you know what? That's true. That's a good point. And and Corey, I I know you uh, sacked Kyler Murray twice, right? And I think it was your NFL debut, and you sacked him in college. What is going on with Kyler Murray this year? And in Arizona, they're four and eight, and, and a lot of people thought that this was a team that was going to uh, at least make the playoffs and possibly a run in the uh, NFC playoffs. You know, it's tough to say. You know, Kyler's a, a tremendous athlete and a really good quarterback, but he's just been a little inconsistent this year. And um, I don't think his offensive line has, uh, you know, been um, great either. You know, that's definitely given him some challenges. But and uh, not to mention, you know, he didn't really have much receiver help until a little bit uh, more recently. 
Um, but you know, I, it's tough to say. You know, one thing about football is it's 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 not an easy sport, especially at the the level that they play at. Um, you know, there's just so much talent and so many variables that go into it. But um, he's a great competitor, a great athlete, and, and I expect him to definitely get back on board. But um, he definitely is struggling this year. Hey, thanks a bunch, Corey. Yes, sir. Come back anytime. I enjoyed it. Appreciate you guys having me. And, uh, you know, we'll catch that little uh, R&R cigar when you get a chance. Let me know. Like bones, your teeth lose density and become weaker over time, which can lead to tooth decay. And that can make your visit to the dentist feel like this. 